Did you hear the good news, oh, I don't know, a week or two weeks ago? California's drought is over. <laughs> After having five years of record drought, it's all gone. This map kind of shows what happened. Just looking back a year ago in January of 2016, you see all that brown and red covering the map there to indicate the severe drought that we've had. And then a year later, January of 2017, look how it's reduced. And then, of course, we know that in the last few months, with more rain, it's been reduced even more. Now look at that map. Hardly anything that would be considered even extremely dry. The drought's over. Wow, what a difference a year made. And we know why. Look at all the rainfall that we have had. This map just shows what we've had in, in the... In, uh, from January to the middle of February, and we know there was more even after that. Record rain. Wow, what a difference the year made. Of course, we can't take any credit for that, even though maybe we were working to conserve water. Really, we have to give all the credit to God. He's the one who's brought that change because he's the one who sent that rain. Great news. But I can top that. What a difference a day makes. Good Friday, that day when all the sins of the world were paid off. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, when Christ rose from the dead and defeated the grave. Wow, what a difference a day makes. But not just time. I think we would prefer to say what a difference God makes. Today, let's talk about how that resurrection of Jesus makes a difference in our lives, too. Let's take a look again at that gospel reading we had when Jesus came and appeared to his disciples. They're gathered together in that upper room, and this is what John tells us. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Their lives were changed on Friday when they saw their Lord and God crucified. But now they would change again. Jesus would change their fears to peace. Now, we know what fears are like. We all have them. I'm not talking about the fear of spiders or the fear of heights or fear of fish. I'm talking about more serious fears. You know, maybe about our finances. Are we going to have enough? I'm talking about our well-being. What about maybe fear of our health? What are we going to experience as we get older? Maybe we're concerned about our future. What will my job be like? What will relationships be like? Maybe we're concerned about what's going on in our country or in our world. Maybe we have some fears about terrorism, right? We keep hearing more and more of those things happening in places in the world. Maybe that's going to happen here, too. So we have fears. We can see what fears do to us. 
They can freeze us. They can lock us up. Like those disciples locked behind closed doors, fearful of the Jewish leaders. You see, they saw what happened to Jesus. Even though Jesus was so kind and so helpful to people, who could possibly hate him? The people turned on him. Even though Jesus had demonstrated great power, it seemed he was overpowered. That message that gave such hope, it was now silenced and sealed up in a tomb with him. Those fears froze them. That happens to us too. Fears can stop us. Fears can cause all sorts of problems. But look what happened when Jesus came. Jesus comes into that room, though the doors were locked. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. But if he can burst through a tomb, and if he can break the power of death and the devil, why can't he just be there in that room with his followers? Luke tells us what went on. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now that was more than just the common greeting of the day, you know, hello, how you doing? Jesus was extending a blessing to them. Peace be with you. And he goes on. Now they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts Rise in your minds. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus was changing their fear to peace because now they were receiving the peace prize. Now sometimes, you know, we hear about the Nobel Prize, peace prize. And uh, we know that that's given to some world leader who has done something to bring about peace in some part of the world. Uh, did you know, by the way, that uh, that Nobel Peace Prize was started by a guy who owned a factory that invented and sold weapons of war and destruction? But he wanted to also send a message of peace, and so he wanted to acknowledge people who had brought about peace in the world. And, and the list of men who have done this is, is fantastic, but when you look at that list and see what they've done, a lot of that's been erased. Why? Because people go back to fighting. There's still wars. It just demonstrates our, our sin nature. But so different is the peace that Jesus brings. When, he, when he's showing his, his side and his hands to his disciples, yes, it was to prove he was him. He was alive. It wasn't a ghost. But it was to show them so much more. It was to show them the actual peace agreement that he brought about for them. To show them their sins were forgiven. He paid the penalty of death for our sins. And now he has overpowered death. This was not just a greeting. It was a blessing. Peace. He was the peace prize.
But sometimes, even with that, people can still have doubts. The disciples had heard the message from the women who went to the tomb that morning. The tomb is empty. And Mary Magdalene came back and said, I've seen Jesus. And those two disciples who were walking down that road to Emmaus, they came back and said, we have seen the Lord. But there were still some doubts until Jesus came himself and they believed. But Thomas wasn't there. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Poor Thomas. Poor us. How often don't we want proof before we will believe? Well, Jesus came back a week later to show Thomas the proof. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Oh, what a difference God makes. Let's say that. What a difference God makes. He changes doubts to faith. Now, we too deal with doubts, doubts about God. We may sometimes wonder, does he really care about me? I mean, he's made all sorts of promises, but yet there are these troubles that are in my life, and and those seem not to go away. He could take care of it, he could change it, but he doesn't. Does he really care? Or prayer, does it really work? I pray and pray, but nothing changes. I'm not praying for the wrong things. I'm not praying selfishly or greedily. But yet, I don't get those answers. And what about God's plans and and promises? I see so much that seems to stop it, that seems to keep those things from happening. Is it really true? You see, we might have doubts, too. And as we deal with those doubts, we can find they can be just as bad as fears. Fears may freeze us, but doubts can destroy us. Doubts can pre- prevent or, or produce rather worries, depression, and destroy faith. That's what it was doing to Thomas. He was destroying his faith. He rejected the truth that Jesus was alive. Well, How do you deal with doubt? You face it with faith. Isn't that what Jesus simply said? Stop doubting and believe. The Apostle Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. 
We don't have to see the evidence and the proof. Now, some might say, well, that's a blind faith. Not at all. Our faith is based on the works and the words of God. That's the evidence. Listen how Jesus presented that to the apostles. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. You see, not one word of what God has promised will ever fail. What he says will happen, will happen. So we simply need to listen and believe. Because, let's say it again, what a difference God makes. Yet as we go through life, we will find we experience some troubles, some challenges, some hardships. And all of that can start to weigh us down. All of that can start to bring about what we might call grief or sorrow. The disciples, understandably so, were filled with a lot of sorrow. They saw their Lord crucified. How horrible it must have been to see that. Those promises he made were silenced by his cries. All his acts of power seemed to be smashed by a hammer and nails. And now everything was sealed up in a tomb. No wonder they were overcome with grief. Have you ever experienced grief and deep sorrow? When somebody close to you has died, you know what it feels like. But there's a change that happens. God brings about joy from our grief. Without a doubt, grief hurts. If you have experienced the loss of someone close to you, you know what it's like. The aged seer Simeon, when the child Jesus was brought to him in a temple, predicted to Mary that her son would be killed and she would see that. And he said, this would be like a sword piercing your soul. That's what it's like to lose somebody. You feel like something has been cut out from you. The pain, the grief hurts. But Paul also reminds us that we do not grieve without a hope. He writes, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We have God's own word, his own assurance that there will be a resurrection and a reunion. So, you see, from joy, there can come healing. That's how John described it. When Jesus appeared to them, he said they were overwhelmed now with joy. Well, of course, 
They saw Jesus alive again. What about us? We haven't seen Jesus alive again. We haven't seen loved ones come back from the dead. Listen. Yet, we will see Jesus alive again. We will see loved ones alive again. Jesus' resurrection and promise assures us of that. That's how joy can cut through the grief. It's not what we see, but what we believe. It's an anticipation of what God has promised will happen. So in our sorrow, let's listen closely and let the Spirit fill us with his promises. Let's hear them, let's hold on to them, let's trust them, and let's love them. And we'll have change. You want some change in your life? Now, people do. That's why we buy new cars. That's why people change jobs. That's why people make all sorts of different changes in their life. But how about some real change? Some change that goes deeper. A change of heart. A change of perspective on how you view things. Let the resurrection of Jesus bring that change. Think about it and trust what it is doing to you. And let God bring the change. Because, let's say it, what a difference God makes. And there's one more change that'll come from that resurrection. God will change us. Or I like to say maybe that God will charge us to go. And by charging, I don't just mean the mandate, the command that he gives us to go, but also the energy, the motivation to go. The resurrection of Jesus charges us to go because we know Jesus is living and forgiving. That's what Jesus said to his apostles. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is going to make that change in us. As he reminds us, Jesus is living and forgiving. That Spirit brings that message to us in the word that we hear. He brings it to us in our baptism as we reflect on that's how God made us his children. He brings that to us as we get the very price that was paid for our redemption in Holy Communion. He's telling us Jesus is living and forgiving. And that also becomes our message. Jesus said the message of repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. That's our message. That's our mission, to let people know he is living and forgiving. Last week we had uh, great uh, church services with that message. But it was not just here that we had that message going. We also brought that message last Sunday to hundreds of men who were in the prison in Vacaville. You see, we supplied our men there with funds and uh, supplied them with food that they could do what they call their Resurrection Sunday brunch. 
and in several buildings they set out this good food and invite inmates to come. And when they come, they get a message handed out to them about Jesus, alive and forgiving. And they get invitations to come to our Bible studies done in the prison. And when the men ask, well, who put out this spread? They hear it was done by us. We do it to spread a message to those who so desperately want to know they're forgiven and their God is alive. That's our mission, and that's our message. Now, I know that sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we lose some energy, maybe even lose interest in things. But let's get charged again by the resurrection because we have the greatest message of all, for all, for you. Jesus Christ is risen again. And oh my, let's say it, what a difference God makes. Amen.